Like we've got to be invested in a relationship with God. We can't just like sit back because then there's nothing that, that we're putting in. Yeah. Merit doesn't get us anywhere. Mm. Like that, that, we can't do anything to like achieve some type of status to get whatever we're doing, but that doesn't absolve us of, of hard work. Hey everyone, welcome back. My name is Kelvin, your host, and this is another episode of Elevate Retake. Today on the podcast, we're talking about the latest message from our Righteousness by Heart series entitled The Gift of Worry. We had a special speaker, Pastor Billy Hungate, give the message, which hopefully you've heard before you listen to the retake episode. And he joined us in studio, and it was a fantastic conversation on how this thing called worry that me and you do so much can actually be a gift. We unpack that a little bit. So here we go. Here's the conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Elevate Retake. Of course, my name is Kelvin, your host. I was gone last week on a little trip, but we are back in the studio and it is a full studio today. These are my favorite days to record. And so I want everybody in the room here to introduce yourself. I'm going to start on my left. We're going to go clockwise here. So, yeah, my name is uh, Simu Siolonga, and I'm in, uh, one of the associate pastors here at uh, King Church, and I'm blessed to be on the uh, podcast. Awesome. And I'm uh, Michael Gibson. My voice should be familiar. Pastor for young adults yep. here at Elevate and King Church, and it's good to be on. I am Billy Hungate. I'm the young adult pastor at Sunnyside Seventh-day Adventist Church in Portland, Oregon. First time podcast attender. I'm Whoa. happy to be here. Big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. Well, I'm glad that this is the first one that you're on. Glad you're joining us. Mm. We'll start on my right this time with Pastor Billy. Our question is, what makes you who you are? Wow. You did catch me off yeah, guard. Yeah, that's why we don't like to tell anybody <laughs> until. I think, um, you know, so much of my life, I'm going to get a little deep right off the bat, Go for was it. who I was was based on what I did in my life. Okay. So I'm an achiever on the Enneagram. And so my life up until probably five years ago before I became a Christian was only about what I accomplished and how well I accomplished it. Mm-hmm. Um, since that point in time, my battle within myself was allowing what Christ did for me to speak louder than what I do. So that's kind of been my journey over the last five years is less of my achievements, more of what Christ did for me. Hmm. Pastor Michael? I don't know if I can follow that up. (laughs) Anything I say will pale in comparison. (laughs) Um, I guess for me most recently, I think I, I shared on the podcast a couple weeks ago, um, how I've been challenging myself in my health and my running. Um, and what makes me who I am is my the, dis- the new discipline that I've taken up um, to continue to put one foot in front of the other in an organized fashion. Right. By that, I mean running. <laughs> and I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, this morning and telling her how as I've disciplined my body and forced it to be uncomfortable in running, how my spiritual walk has grown. And there's been a really cool connection between those two. I use my, the running that I do in the morning, I use that as a prayer time. So it's me, Christian Lo-Fi and Jesus and (laughs) headphones in, headed down the road, enjoying the beautiful Texas countryside. Uh, And so that is making me who I am, is the, the discipline of running that's then 
forming my my spiritual walk. You're almost done, right? You did it. Was it a month or you? Oh yeah. So I I I was supposed to do 40 miles in November, and on Thanksgiving Day I ran a 10k, which put me at 41 miles. There you go. And I just started my December challenge today. I'm doing 40 miles again because it was just. It was in that sweet spot, not too far right. ahead, but not not too not too low. But I'm adding 2,500 push-ups in the month of December. Nice. So that's 100 a day, five days a week for five weeks. So love it. Yeah, my arms are noodles right now. <laughs> <laughs> Got another hundred to do tonight. Very cool. All right, and who um, makes me who I am, or what makes what me makes who, you who you what, are? What makes yep. you? Okay, great question. And uh, like Pastor Billy, I was caught caught off guard and I was trying to think of something <laughs> while they were speaking but <laughs> but I think for the most part it's uh acknowledging and believing who I am in Christ and um identifying that um I am somebody mm-hmm. and that um the king of kings the lord of the universe wants and needs mm-hmm. and uh, growing up in a home and church that was very cultural uh sometimes uh it took over um, the identity as well, even our identity in Christ. Mm. <laughs> and so now it's just about uh, continuing to lay that foundation and understanding that uh, when Jesus comes into culture, he transforms culture and his culture takes precedence now. Oh. Mm. So so I think it's about how I, not only how I see myself, but how I see others. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Love it. I love that question because it gives our listeners a little bit of more personal as to who the guests are and kind of why, kind of why we're all here and where we're all thinking. So the gift of worry, this first question is going to go to you, Pastor Billy, because (laughs) this is the title. And and I was intrigued by the title because I was like a title that obviously makes you think. Hmm. And I know we maybe we'll touch on this in a, in a, a deeper note later on, but I wanted to get to write like to the title. What, what was it? When you got the topic and you kind of started putting this together, that said that the gift of worry that that can't anybody would say that can't possibly be a gift. Mm. What kind of went through your brain as you were putting that together? Yeah, good question. So when I first texted Michael and and um, he gave me this passage, I went through. You know, you read this section and it says, "Do not worry, do not worry, do mm-hmm. not worry," like four or five times, right? And so then you start to get your process on how do I tell people from the pulpit not to worry when everything around us is telling us to worry. And in the research, the first word is therefore, and you're never going to start a conversation. Like if you ask me a question, like you just did, what makes you who you are? And I say, well, therefore, you're going to be like, <laughs> what on earth is this guy talking about? So it's more, right? Jesus is talking about a lot more than just do not worry. So you have to connect what came before and then when you look at what he's actually talking about here is like i said in the in the in the sermon was worry is idolatry because he's saying you cannot serve an idol which is mammon and god at the same time you just can't do it mm. and so to me the process then became worry is a guidepost is like a sign that says you are idolizing something that you shouldn't be doing and instead of feeling shame and guilt about what we're worrying about it gives us this trigger in our brain to realize that we're idolizing something that we can turn towards god then at that Mm. point Mm. was there anything about the title that got you guys yeah it was very catching and um you know going along with what pastor billy just uh, shared i think it's kind of like you know 
when you're in your car and there's gauges and I'm one of those who like to, uh, I guess, uh, live a little on the danger side and, and continue to drive and it's on E and see how far, <laughs> go, how far I can get. <laughs> but I think, you know, once, the once indicator starts turning to E, that's a sign or, you know, it's a, like a sticking post that, Hey, your, your car needs more gas. And, uh, so that's kind of my, um, my frame of mind that, you know, it went that way and, uh, the gift of worry and, on the positive side, worry is a gift as it tells us that, you know, that we're, that we're worrying about something too much mm-hmm. or we're putting something in, in, in front of God and, and we're making it an idol. You know? mm-hmm. So that was just my random thoughts. Yeah. When I first got the message that, or the, you emailed me like, Hey, here's the title and text and everything else. I was like, interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I was at the point when. Um, we had arranged for you to speak that I hadn't started actually preparing the message that I would have spoken if this was in the series for me. So I don't know necessarily where I would have gone with the passage, but I love the uh, the kind of paradox that you presented uh, uh, of sharing that idea that maybe this thing that we think is such a negative, we can actually turn and God actually turns and uses as something that's a benefit for us. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So I was thinking about this, and I'll throw this out. Did Jesus ever worry? And if he did, was his worry different than our worry? So I did re, you know, and elevate. You only have about twenty to twenty-five minutes to give a message, <laughs> and so I I do believe that there is um, such a thing as godly worry. Okay. Um, and I think it has a lot more to do with like Jesus when he weeps over Jerusalem, right, is I personally would say that he's worried about the lives of the people and the souls of the people that are there. In my opinion is we as human beings have a really difficult time separating the two out because I feel like our worry, if we're worried about someone's soul, right, like them being like... um other sheep, right, that haven't heard the voice of God Mm -hmm. yet. Um, If we're worried about those things, I think that a lot of times the intentionality in our hearts is more for selfish reasons on Mm -hmm. family or friends or whatever, not necessarily godly worry. But I'd like to, you know, throw that out at you guys. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, it reminds me as well, uh, the John 11, where it records that Jesus wept. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there for a moment, you know, there was that human emotion that he was, it was kind of worry mixed with compassion for his people. And um, and there's also a confidence because in the same chapter, he gives the great I am, the resurrection mm-hmm. and the life. Mm. So I think, uh, you know, going back to what was shared earlier is that uh, there is an element of worry, but it's not like how we worry. For selfish reasons, his worry is more of, you know, it's one of compassion, one of, uh, you know, one of love. Mm -hmm. I think there's a a moment at the end of Jesus' life when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and scripture tells us that he's crying out to God, would this cup pass before me? I think at that moment, Jesus can't see through the portals of the grave. Mm. So he gets to Gethsemane and knows that he's headed to the cross. 
and he's asking God, is there any other way? I think he's worried. Hmm. The human, I think the human side of him yep. came through in that moment and his, his, his physical body is actually being repulsed from the, the, just the incredible stress that's coming on him. I and mean, he's bleeding sweat or he's sweating sweat and blood and, and his body is reacting to that. So I think he's, he's visibly worried in that moment, but ultimately he resigns himself. God, not my will, but your will be, be done. Mm-hmm. And I think that you alluded to that in the message, Billy, when you're mm-hmm. saying like, when we, when we turn over our anxiety to God and I like, I don't know if Kelvin, you're going to mention this later, but anxiety no, being, no, go for it. <laughs> anxiety being temporary atheism, quoting yeah. John, Mark, John Mark Comer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I like that. And I think what Comer's getting at, what you got at is when we, when we embrace our worry and our anxiety to a, a point that it can just it can become an idol to us that we're so fixated on this problem or this issue, but the ultimate response is to say, ah, okay, here's a a place that I need to turn this back over to God Mm -hmm. and I need to trust. I can't, I can't well myself in anxiety. I need to turn it over to God and trust that he's going to be God Mm -hmm. in this situation. Yeah. I love how that example of Jesus in the garden went perfectly with kind of what you said at the end of the message with, uh, it, it it all needs to go back towards God. Um, your will be done. You know, mm-hmm. this thing that I'm constantly worrying about, it's it's not doing me any good to worry about it. I just need to give it up to God at the end and figure out where my treasures are stored at, kind mm-hmm. of at the end of the message, which I really liked. One of the points that you made, and I, I wrote it down, um, if you go down the path of more, the end of that path is worry and anxiety. And yeah. for the people that didn't maybe listen to the message, you gave kind of a little uh, a study that was done, and, and I would like for you kind of to share that maybe again and why that line is kind of so important. If you go down the path of more, the end of that path is, is what's going to come is worry and anxiety. Yeah. So a few years ago, um, a, a research study was done where they, they basically polled people that made around $50,000 a year, and they asked the question, what would it take financially for you to live the perfect life? And basically everyone across the board said $100,000. So then they took that range of $100,000, whoever made $100,000, and asked them the exact same question. And pretty much across the board, everyone said $200,000. And that's kind of like just who we are as people. Mm -hmm. When we get in the mindset of collecting or you know, seeking after some greater life when it comes to materialism, we'll always want more. And just look mm-hmm. at everything we do. When we get a new iPhone and the new one comes out, we want the new one, <laughs> yes. even though it was just a year ago, right? Yeah. It just, it's continual, like the more stuff we get, the more we have to protect it. And then that's mm-hmm. what ends up happening. Like, you know, where do we put our valuables in safe boxes safety Mm -hmm. to keep Mm -hmm. things safe and it's a control thing because Mm -hmm. this is mine and you just you we can build and build and build on that and the end of it is always going to be anxiety and worry yeah Mm -hmm. and i I liked how you how you pointed out i can't remember exactly the the phrasing but you said the way to fix it is not to like hoard it but it's generosity yeah yeah it was um the opposite of materialism is not poverty the opposite of materialism is generosity Mm. yeah so we think, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth, store them in heaven. And we think God doesn't, and you alluded to this last week, mm-hmm. God doesn't want us to just be 
poverty stricken people. If you're called to that, that's a special calling. But like, that's not what God is saying or what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, and it's, he says it in the sermon, just a chapter earlier, give mm-hmm. to people who need it. Yeah. When you're blessed with material things, give those things away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if I worry more, does that mean that I have, does that automatically mean that I have less faith and less trust in God than the person next to me? Well, I think first it makes you realize that you're human. <laughs> okay. And that, uh, you know, to worry more uh, or less, you know, and sometimes um, it is used as a measuring stick on, you know, people's fates. And, um, but yeah, for the most part, I think it just makes us realize uh, our need of God much more. Mm-hmm. And that uh, it's not so much that our faith is less or our faith is more because we worry less or we worry more. It's just going back to, what was mentioned earlier, and it's uh, realizing our need for God in that moment. No matter how much we worry, no matter how much we, we stress. You know. Yeah, and I, and I think also that there are people that struggle with clinical anxiety, mm-hmm. clinical depression, and um, where I, 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 they, students live in the dorm, they talk to me about this. Like there's, there, there's just like, I don't know why I'm worried, but I am. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that makes us have any less faith in God or makes us less than anybody else. Uh, I think the what what is important to to recognize is what am what am I doing in spite of that? Is there yeah? So if it, if if anxiety is is so heavy upon me that it's debilitating, yeah, maybe I need to get some help. I need to process that with yeah. a, a therapist or a counselor or a pastor or something. Yeah. Uh, and in the and in the same vein, instead of focusing so much on like the quantity of worry, like well that person doesn't look like they're worried at all, and like I'm worried they must have better faith than I do. What am what am I doing? What am I? Where am I shifting that anxiety? How am I taking that to the feet of Jesus and mm. saying, okay, how how do I process this, God? Two things come up when you ask that question. The first one is we all suffer from OCD, right? Obsessive comparison disorder. So we're always looking around at other people and saying, I do this almost on a daily basis, um, which is a struggle. And that's what social media has done. Sure. Um, It doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The other thing is we really suffer from shame in our faith. Uh, We really do. Um, And I see this book here and it actually helped me, Live No Lies by John Mark Comer. Um, It actually helped me just last month, really see this fact of I have shame over how much faith I don't have. Mm-hmm. And he talks about um, compound interest and reaping what you sow in your faith. And this goes right in line with what we're talking about here. But when I look at the future and think, if I have that faith, the same faith as I do now, 10 years from now, and I'm a young adult pastor, maybe I'm a senior pastor of a church. What if I don't have, you know, it's the what if game, right? Mm. But what this does and what this book did and what really helped me and what we I really feel like we need to start doing is start living in reality in the moment today. And compound interest is this concept of what you put into your faith today will have interest in the future. Mm. And he does this 
comparison of people that start, even if they're, you know, low income and they start invest, like putting money away every single month, they can retire when they're in their fifties, even if they don't make a lot of money because the compound interest of 10 years worth of savings for someone who maybe, you know, goes to medical school and then starts saving when they're in their thirties, the compound interest is working for them so much more when they're 40 or 50. Right. And that's mm -hmm. how it is in our lives too. Mm -hmm. Well, and along that same vein, even if I I feel that perhaps I've been putting less faith in mm -hmm. the, the bank account, so to speak, to use the analogy, yep. whatever you have put in is already reaping dividends. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like whatever you think that you've put in has already been compounded over time to bring you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. And whatever insurmountable circumstance you see in front of you, what you've already been putting in has yeah. been preparing you for what's to come. Yep. I love that. Yeah. You said in the message, what you worry about is what you worship. Mm. And kind of going off of what Pastor Michael just said. So does that mean that trusting God, does that translate to having like a, a more careless attitude towards the things that we are worried, like we worry about every single day? Um, because, you know, you gave the example of, well, you know, we worry about school and tests and, and just family and friends and things that come up every single day. Just because I am now putting everything in, in God's hands, does it mean I can just lay off and not have to worry about those things in, in a safe way? Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I guess I'll illustrate it this way. Um, there, there's no such thing as sal salvation by merit, but we develop our salvation through hard work. What I mean by that is that doesn't get us off the hook for working mm. out. Like we've got to be invested in a relationship with God. We can't just like sit back because then there's nothing that, that we're putting in. Yeah. Merit doesn't get us anywhere. Mm. Like that, that we can't do anything to like achieve some type of status to get whatever we're doing. But that doesn't absolve us of, of hard work and leaning in. Mm. I like, I like what you guys said. We we still have to have a level of awareness as to everything that goes around us, family, friends, school, whatever it is, um, and not just sit back and say, oh, well, then God's got everything under control. He, I'll mm. just I'll just chill here and let him mm. let him pump out all the work for me. Yeah. In the in the Gospel of Mark, um, one of my favorite stories is Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee to heal the one crazy guy in yep. the mm. in the cemetery, mm. and then that guy goes on later and converts thousands of people in the Decapolis and then they go back on the other side of the lake. It was the only reason Jesus went there. Mm. It's an intentionality of mm -hmm. knowing what's mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. If Jesus was a guy that was just do, doing whatever, like that guy, would, they just would have stumbled across him. But mm. they literally, he said, I'm going to go across, we're going to heal this guy and then we're going back. And, and isn't that the same guy that's like, Jesus, can I follow you? And he's like, no. He said, no. Yeah. That's a crazy story. <laughs> oh, and then Jesus doesn't Jesus also tell him don't say anything to anybody about what just happened. He says, "Go tell." Oh, he says, yeah, your right, your right. people, like your family and friends." And the yeah, we 
we don't need to get into that. <laughs> a whole other topic. Well, but I, oh, I think going yeah. to the tensionality of that, Jesus lived that out himself, and then he's encouraging someone else that the best place that that person needed to be, even though it seems like following Jesus in the physical sense of him, like jumping on the boat and going mm-hmm. back with them would yeah. be the natural outcome. He says, no, I need you here mm-hmm. because yeah. of this experience that you've had, this very rough, horrible experience that you've been delivered from. You now have a story to then go on and tell the people who are familiar with you yeah. mm-hmm. because they know who you were before mm. and who you are after. Yes. And it's interesting as well as the the message that he's giving is not, you know, any doctrine or anything. It's his testimony. Yeah. Yeah. His experience yeah. of yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what he had with Christ and yeah. thousands are yeah. are brought forward to Christ. Yeah. So, okay, someone's listening and says, So you guys have been saying a lot of great things, but how how can I, let's just say a college student, do the 10,000 things I have to do every single day and and not worry, but still trust God at the same time. So the number one thing for me, um, there's well, there's two things. The first thing that I would say is um, there's a book that I just started reading. Well, I'm almost finished. It's amazing. It's called The Relational Soul, hmm. and it is fabulous, and it talks about trust in how trust is, you know, God is a relational God, Trinity. We are relational people. And the number one like variable in relationships is trust. And I think that our family of origin, if every single one of us in this room and everyone listening has a family of origin that is somehow deformed of perfect trust in God. And so we need to recognize ourselves where we lack in trust. And then that's where we can see God is in that in that trust part, Mm. right? Um, But in a practical, like what you could start working on, for me, it's I sleep with my cell phone outside of my bedroom Mm. and um, I have an an alarm clock. You guys remember those? Like real real alarm (laughs) clock? Those things you actually have to push buttons on? Yeah, gotcha. (laughs) They came out right after Noah came off the ark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. and they actually make pretty cool ones now. But anyways, (laughs) so I have an actual alarm clock and my phone is off. And I don't go to my cell phone first. I go to silence and solitude with God first. Mm -hmm. And realistically, it's just like the Bible, right? The first three chapters of Genesis, if you misread those three chapters, you will misread the rest of the Bible. You just will. And so for me, if I don't start my day just listening to see what God has to say, everything else will fall and I'll just be freaked out and worried and... Mine's, mine's along the same vein. When I was uh, in college, I had a hectic schedule taking like a whole bunch of credits and plus extracurriculars and pastoral internship and all that kind of stuff. And I got to a point of like, God, how can I do all of this? And he's like, it's not about how much you do. It's about how much time you spend with me. And I'm like, yeah, but like spend time and time. And he's like, spend time with me and I'll make up the difference. And that became very real for me my senior year when I was just like doing all kinds of stuff. Hmm. Every single day that I spent a significant amount of time, not just talking like five, 10 minutes, like, and if that's where you are, that's cool. Uh, But you don't get to know your spouse or significant other just spending five or 10 minutes with them every day, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) If you're willing to invest hours into a spouse, (laughs) how much more should you invest in God? Um, So a significant amount of time, more than, I'll say that's, you know, more than half an hour. Every day that I did that, I was able to complete everything I thought I needed to, plus a few extra things. And it's like, interesting. there's no way I could do all that because of like the time and everything else. God's like, 
lean into my relationship with me and I'll make up the difference. And the cool part about that is as you lean into the character of God and you listen for the heart of God, he begins to prioritize and order your heart. Mm-hmm. And so then you begin to know what is actually important and, and urgent and what is not. Well, you right. don't need to worry about. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, oh, that thing doesn't need to get done today. That just, it can just slide off like water off a duck's mm-hmm. back because I am, I'm in tune with God. Mm-hmm. I've spent the time getting to hear his heart and it orders my heart. So I know the path I need to take. Mm-hmm. That's good. Mm-hmm. I'll just share um, some couple of practical ways that sure. have really helped me. One is uh, taken from Matthew six thirty three as well. You know, seeking first the kingdom of God and, mm. you know, just making sure every morning it's about connecting with him and, you know, doing a devotional and, you know, whether it's 10, 20, 30, whatever the case may be for, for each person. But I found that when I've uh, seeked him first, uh, the day has uh, gone a lot more smoothly than when I've been in a rush and kind of uh, skipped over that part <laughs> of my life. And, uh, the other way is, you know, uh, take time to unplug, you know, in the day and age that we live in uh, with uh, electronics, a phone, iPads, whatever the case may be, just take some time just to simply unplug, take a walk. And, you know, if you're here in Keene, man, I love the duck pond. The duck pond is a beautiful <laughs> place. <Yeah. laughs> yep. Just to walk around and, you know, or even uh, walk, walk on the streets. And, you know, there are a lot of community members you can connect with and, and they kind of wave at you and whatnot. And, and the third was, uh, you know, I really take into heart First Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. Mm. And what does that look like? It's uh, understanding that prayer is a conversation that we can have with God anytime, any place. Mm. So sometimes I'll be walking through HEB and people are probably like, man, that guy's talking to himself. But, you know, I'm just <laughs> right there. And I, I may need, you know, just to share something with God. And mm-hmm. so I'm just talking to myself, you know, in the conversation with him. So, yeah. yeah. I read this quote that said, God is more concerned about your tomorrow than you ever need to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of one of the big things that I took from the message that, that, that my worries can be used as a good thing to help me understand what I need to turn over to God yep. and give to him in, in a deeper level than maybe just, Hey God, help me today with all my stuff maybe I need to be a little more intentional with giving the specific worries in my life. And maybe that's something that you listening are kind of going through the same as well. Um, you can use worry as, as, as a gift, as, as a good thing to help you understand and deepen your relationship with Christ. So I think we had a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Pastor Billy, for being here yeah. for the message. And uh, of course, to our guests as well. I'm calling you a guest as well, Pastor. Yeah, Michael, so. yeah, it's all good, Billy. How can we connect with you? What yes, are, absolutely. What are some ways that we can listen to some things you've done? We'll and... give you thousands and thousands of followers on social media. So that's part of <laughs> you know I'm one of those weird people that doesn't really have social media. Okay. Um, I do have an Instagram, but it's only on my wife's phone because I I know I'd be on the Instagram all the time. Yeah. At BP Hungate H U N G A T E. Um. Sunnyside Church has a really great live stream, so um, you can find my sermons there if you want, but I'm not really about self-promotion. I think that the one thing I would say, just instead of you guys following me, is when you worry and you figure out what you're idolizing, it takes time and processing to go through it. It's not a one-and-done deal where you're like, oh, I'm idolizing money, and then it's gone forever. It may be two years 
could be 10 years, um, or it could be tomorrow. You never know. Um, but if it's something that you're constantly worrying about, instead of following me on Instagram, just keep following Christ. <laughs> Trust the process. That's right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Elevate Retake. I hope you gained a better understanding that worry doesn't have to be something that dominates your life. It doesn't have to be something that can control you. It can actually be a gift to realize what it is that you need to turn over to Jesus and to kind of let God do his will in your life. You can connect with us through Instagram and the link in the description as well as leave us a voice message on the Anchor app. That's where you're probably listening to the podcast or if you're on Spotify, there's a really cool feature where you get to answer our engage question and we get your answers here, of course, and then uh, we can put your answers in the podcast. If maybe you don't want to send us a voice message, we'd love to hear what you think about our engage question and you can answer it on Spotify as well. Above all else, we're seeking to build a thoughtful community through podcasting, and we're so grateful that you are here joining us, being part of the Elevate family. If you liked what you heard today, or maybe challenged you in a new way to think, I hope you consider sharing this episode with a family member or a friend. You never know the person that you could bless by just simply clicking that share button and sending them the link. My name is Kelvin, and I'll catch you next time on the next episode of Elevate Retake.